In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I have a rock star here with me, and her name is Julia. Julia, how are you? How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. You're a total, like, badass rock star entrepreneur, and I just, like, adore you. Can't wait to hear (laughs) your story. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I wish everyone introduced me that way. That's, like, the best. I'm the chief operating officer at Vision Advertising, which means the buck stops with me. I'm, you know, HBIC at an all woman, uh, 100% woman owned, woman run, full service marketing agency. We've been around for 22 years. I took over the helm of the ship about two years ago, but I've been with the agency for about four and a half years. And I have been in corporate and nonprofit marketing and fundraising and event planning for more than 15 years at this point, all over the Boston area, big nonprofits, small nonprofits, big corporate, small corporate. I'm also the founder and the founding president of the Metro West Women's Network. I established the brand. I established all the guidelines and the principles and the bank accounts and the LLC. And I brought it from the red to the black in less than two years. And then I created transition plan and handed over the company to the next president because it was not feasible to run two companies at the same time. Mm. And cannot split your love like that. <laughs> and it's also, you know, as I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs listening know, there's a different kind of leader that should develop a brand and start a brand and a company and a different kind of leader that should continue a brand. And I was great to get that company off the ground, but I was not the person to continue to lead it. Mm-hmm. And so it was time to move on to the next set of leadership, which was great. And that is thriving. There's 3,500 members, really vibrant online community. And it's been around for, I think, seven years now, which is great. Wow. And Yes. I also volunteer with my alma mater, Framingham State University. I got my master's there. Um, And I'm a pandemic puppy mom. (laughs) I definitely am a victim of adopting a dog during the pandemic. And she's seven months old. And her name is Ruth Bader Ginsburg. (laughs) And (laughs) And I have two cats. Ron Swanson and Leslie Nope. So uh, yeah, that's kind of like a quick and dirty about who I am and what I do. Do you see why I introduced you as Rockstar? <laughs> it applies. It applies. Oh man. And so what led you on your journey to where you are today? Because that is a lot. <laughs> and some people will say, well, like, well, how the hell does she do all that? All that? Fair. Definitely <laughs> fair. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I actually graduated college 
pre-law. I have a bachelor's degree in women's studies, which is basically critical thinking. And I really thought I was going to be a lawyer, be a lobbyist, do international law, international contract law. I went to law school for a year, a couple of years after college. And I really thought that's what I was going to do. But what they don't tell you about going to law school is going to law school is great for people that are good at law school. (laughs) Not necessarily great for people who are real world experiential learners. Mm. So it was not perfect for me, which is totally fine. And I don't regret it. It was a great experience and I'm really good at certain pieces of the law now, but that is not the path I needed to go. What I learned after going through college and then going to law school and leaving law school is not only do I not learn in a like typical study book exam way. I had a lot of trouble in high school. I had a lot of trouble in college and then a lot of trouble in law school. I learn in an experiential way, which means that as soon as I started working in the real world at 22 years old, I started learning at a much faster rate. So at 22, you know, between college and law school, I was immediately put into management, which is not necessarily the best idea because you have no idea what you're doing, but it's a great way to learn what you're doing well and what you need to learn and how to make changes on the fly, et cetera, et cetera. And my first job was as a property manager for low-income housing property out in Western Massachusetts. And I was managing people that were in their fifties and sixties. And, you know, who is this woman that's coming in and she doesn't know what she's doing and she has no experience and da, 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 da. And I'm decades younger than they are. So that was a real experience. But in the short amount of time I was there, I think I was there for two years. I brought down the vacancy to zero. I brought up the occupancy to hundred percent. You know, I got certified by the state and I ended up developing a training program for all of the other properties in the region. You know, and I'm 22, 23 years old, which is, I didn't even know I was capable of that because I had done so poorly in college. So I figured out that I was really good at leadership. I was really good at public speaking. I'm really good at, you know, organizing systems and processes, but these are skills you don't necessarily understand that you know, or that they are skills when you're in college. You think you're gonna be an accountant or a lawyer or a doctor etc. So I go off into other careers after law school. And again, I realized, you know, I'm the person to come in to a company and figure out, okay, you think your problem is X, but your problem is actually Y. There's a core problem underneath what you see the issue to be. So let me fix your systems and processes and, you know, create better documentation, et cetera. And then we can build upon that foundation and create a better marketing system and sales system, et cetera, et cetera. So I actually got into marketing because I like to problem solve. And I just see marketing as a big way of problem solving. And when you get into marketing, at least when I did, it allowed you access to a lot of other departments, operations, finance, et cetera. And I could figure out how to solve larger problems. And because marketing brings in income for a company, I could say, well, if we change this over here, I can do better marketing over here. And I kind of Mm -hmm. kind of solve larger issues for a company. And that's why I started liking it. I started liking it because of the problem solving and kind of holistic experience and holistic perspective on a company. 
I ended up getting my master's in business because I wanted to understand not only how to do a better job for the companies I was working with, but also to lead teams of people better. Mm-hmm. I loved people management, but I knew I could do it better. And you know, one of the things I've really learned over the years is that people management is a skill that is just not taught very often. And most people are promoted and they're promoted into a position that has people management, but they're never taught how to do it. So then you end up with people that hate their bosses because the boss was never taught how to be a boss. And so then, you know, you get questions about culture and you get questions about, you know, how do supervisors empower, accept, you know, and lead, except that those supervisors were never told how to do that. So of course they're not doing a great job. So when I went to for my master's in business, I wanted to learn how to be the best supervisor, how to lead people in the best way to empower teams of people. And so now, you know, you fast forward however many years later, and I'm leading a team of people, I'm leading a company. And yes, it's marketing, but to me, it's problem solving. And Mm -hmm. it's how do I create the greatest culture possible for my people? And how do I make sure that they're safe and secure and have their needs met? and feel empowered to do decisions and make mistakes and do whatever needs to be done and feel, you know, that they're secure during a difficult time like these days and can speak truth to power, et cetera, Mm. when we are a smaller company. And so, you know, you're competing for talent in a really crazy pool. And then at the same time, still providing the best services possible for our clients and making them so excited about what we do. Because the way that I lead and the way that we craft marketing plans is really from that same idea. It's not just marketing. Marketing is you know, this great thing that we do, but what else do you need to solve inside of the company to make sure the marketing is gonna work? So right. you know, I think that's one of the reasons we're different, but also it explains kind of how we got or how I got to where I am now because I'm such like a problem solver. So like it doesn't even have to be marketing related. If you told me like I can't figure out how to get a subscription to this thing, I'd be like, well, let me solve that for you because it just seems like something that's like I can solve for you. So that's kind of how I got into it. It's this crazy like roundabout journey. I love that. So like with that being said, what did you want to be when you grew up? I <laughs> an attorney, like you thought you were going to be an attorney, which is funny, but <laughs> I know, right. <laughs> like, what did you want to be as a kid growing up? Like everything. Like I think when I was little, little, I think I wanted to be an art teacher because I, I again, I was really bad at school. Like I was really, really bad at school. I don't know how to better explain it to people because they see me and they think, oh, you must've gotten straight A's and scholarships. No, not at all. But art was something that I did really well at. Now, if you ask me to draw something, it's like, forget it. But I don't know if it's because it's subjective and they saw I put a lot of work into it or what, but I did really well in art classes. And so I thought I wanted to be an art teacher. No, I do not want to be an art teacher. (laughs) Thank you. But when I was a little kid, I thought that's what I wanted to do. And then I think I decided I wanted to be a lawyer sometime in college, but I think it's because I really enjoyed arguing, not like arguing like you're fighting, but like a really intellectual debate. Mm, You know what I mean? That makes sense. That makes sense. And like throughout your journey, like was there a particular person or situation or something that sort of inspired you 
down that realm. I was really, really close with my grandmother growing up, mm. but she wasn't, I mean, she was a homemaker. She was, my grandparents are the, or were, they've since passed away, but they survived the Holocaust. So my grandmother, you know, that kind of influenced every aspect of her life. I'm second generation U.S. and they helped to raise me and sort of that kind of like colored my entire childhood. But she really was incredibly influential. She, you know, was in my household when I was a child. She helped to raise me with three generations in the household, which not many people do anymore. But she really pushed for me to go to college because she didn't even go to high school, I don't think. So I didn't want to go to college. I really had no interest in it, but I saw it as a way, you know, you're 17, you see it as a way out of the house. And then, (laughs) (laughs) and she and I were very close. So it helped. I wanted to make her happy, but I definitely had mentors during, once I got into more of a career path. I had a great advisor in college who really sat me down and was like, you know, you can be, you can apply for any job you want. Don't let your resume or your experience dictate what you apply for. What is the worst that happens? And she really like walked me through like kind of the logic train of you should go after what you want because what literally what is the worst that happens? And that stuck with me. I mean, it's almost 20 years since I graduated college and, and that always stuck with me when I was applying for jobs and I was never quote unquote qualified for anything I ever got. Because if you look at all the qualifications, I never met any of them. The job I got, I worked for a very large nonprofit in Boston for about five, six years, something like that. And I remember the posting asked for like five to seven years of event management experience in large, you know, thousand person events. And I had like none, zero, (laughs) zero years of experience. But I made a case in the cover letter about, you know, I... I organized very large scale events in college and I was an RA and I was a property manager. And, you know, that's still, for lack of a better term, you know, hurting people and also organizing details and logistics and finances and operations. And I was very interested in the mission of the organization and it was enough to get them on the phone. And so it was always in the back of my mind what this advisor had said to me, and it really helped propel me forward because there's nothing that's saying you can't apply for things. And now when I mentor young women, I'm actually thinking of one woman that I'm mentoring right now who's trying to move her career forward. You know, there's this idea, and I don't know if it's coming from colleges or what, that you have to meet every single item in a job posting. And it's just not true. Yes. Just absolutely not true. You could meet none of those things, but you have to make a case for yourself. Well, that goes back to my whole principle of hustle, outbeating talent. Mm -hmm. Like when you said that, it just reminded me directly of that. Like, it's like a lot of people out there feel like they can't do certain things because they are not qualified in person qualified and it's like no if you hustle and you have the willingness to learn exactly you will forever be considered for anything that's out there a hundred percent I was just having this conversation I have a friend who's a diversity consultant for very large corporations and we were talking about how so many corporations big and small require a bachelor's degree and it's crazy we don't require a bachelor's degree at all for any position whatsoever, because it doesn't mean anything. It just means that you spent X amount of dollars 
and worked the system. I have a bachelor's and I have a master's and I went to law school for a year and I promise you that is the case. For me, it was incredibly helpful, but it's not the case for everyone. You could be just as good of a fit for a job and have no higher education as long as you have the maturity, you're willing to work for it, you can explain how you're gonna do it. And it's just, you know, like you said, the hustle. I would rather hire somebody who's going to work hard, work late, show up, ask the best questions, research things above and beyond than who has three years experience and leaves half an hour early. Like, it's just not, I want somebody who's going to work for it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because they're more invested in the position. They want it more. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's just hustle. And I, I tell everyone all the time, I'm like, hustle up weeks talent, you guys. I'm like, how do you think I learned real estate and construction? I knew zero. I hired a coach and then I just like sat my ass down. and was, you're going to do you. You're going to go to every networking event. You're going to talk to all these people. You're going to learn the game. You're going to listen to your coach. You're going to go above and beyond and keep learning more. Exactly. And it's like, this is what happened. I didn't study it in school, like all these things. And that some people feel disconnected because they don't have that degree too. And they feel like because they didn't choose that path that, or they were bad in school and then they just stopped, you know, or, or it's a financial situation where they can't afford to go to your yeah. school. You know, there's all these circumstances and people feel like failures. And I'm like, listen, you guys, that is a piece of paper. Like I know people who have that piece of paper who have jobs that don't even require that piece of paper. It's about how you utilize it. How practical is it in your life? Like how much do you hustle? Your network is really everything. Correct. Your willingness to learn. I just did a presentation at Dean College for a full, it was like 40 kids in a marketing class and they all want to go on to be professional marketers. And I said, point blank to them, I don't have any background in marketing. I have a professional background in marketing. My bachelor's degree is women's studies with a minor in art history, and my master's is in business. I never took a formal class in marketing. So how is that possible that I now run and I'm a partner at a marketing agency? It's 100% possible. It is how hard do you want to work? How bad do you want it? And if you want it bad enough and you're willing to work hard enough, you can get it. That's To me, that's my big thing is that, you know, I, so I live out in Metro West Boston and I commuted into Boston for 10 years, which is two hours each way. And that's how bad I wanted it. I took the expense on to myself because the nonprofits I worked for could not afford to send me professional development seminars. So I paid for it myself. I invested my own time in the evenings, on the weekends. I took a $20,000 a year pay cut to commute to Jamaica Plain which is very hard to get to from the Metro West area so that I could work there because the woman I would be working for was going to teach me everything. And I knew that by, you know, eating ramen for three years, basically, I would almost get like another master's degree because I would learn every day. It was worth it. It's how badly do you want it so that you can accelerate later? And I knew that by you know, really having a hard couple of years, I could advance. And after that, I more than doubled my salary at the next position and then tripled it. Like, wow. you just have to know how to use it, mm-hmm. you know, and think what's the next step. 
You know, I think that's one of those big things that people don't think about. They don't think strategically about their own careers necessarily. Absolutely. And that money's not everything, right? You sacrificed at that point in time for a few years because you knew that a few years later from that, you were going to double, triple and just like kill it. And now you have your own firm, which is amazing. (laughs) Exactly. There's a long-term plan. I'm going to drive a really bad car and eat really awful, you know, college food for a number of years and have no life and do a terrible commute mindfully. I know this is part of a plan. This is not for forever. There is a purpose. And I learned, and I don't regret it at all. I learned so much. You know, you asked about who was a mentor and who kind of guided me through things. And the woman I worked for there, she really took me under her wing and was like, you know, you have a hard edge like I do. I definitely have a hard edge. You say what you mean. You sometimes struggle having a filter and you don't have any trouble speaking truth to power. And those are all really great things. Let me teach you how to say it and be heard. Let me teach you how to be in a room full of men that are 30 years older than you and win an argument. And you can't learn that anywhere else. And it was worth it every day. It was worth it for her to say, here's the budget. Here's the timeline. You own this project. That's like real world experience in a way that it's, it's completely worth it. So it was amazing. It was an amazing experience and totally worth it. Now, you know, it catapulted me forward in my career. I love that so much. So how did you transition from like working a corporate role into your own business? Because that's one thing that a lot of people struggle with is like, how can I take off these golden handcuffs? How can I mitigate my risk to go out there and do my own thing? You know, how was your transition? There's a couple different parts to it. So one is that, you know, when I launched the Metro West Women's Network, that's, you know, baby sized my own business. You get kind of dip your pinky toe into entrepreneurship of like, okay, so there's real money on the line and there's real liability on the line and I need insurance policy and I need an accountant and kind of like, okay, so let me figure this out. And I didn't go to, you know, graduate school for entrepreneurship (laughs) for just regular business. So it's just a lot of Googling and I kind of figured it out, but I had a full-time job. So I had, like you said, the golden handcuffs and I basically didn't sleep for a few years and it was okay. And I learned a lot. And over that time, I met the CEO of Vision Advertising where I work now. And she was like, listen, I have been running this company for 17 years. I founded it. It's great. I need to leave. (laughs) I can't do this anymore. I want to bring on my successor, train them up, and then I'll retire. And then they will take over. That's not a job interview. That's a life change right? That's a, you're not starting a business, but you're going to have the responsibility. So it's a different way of thinking about things. And I think because I had started and then sold a business, small business already. And I was kind of at a place in my career where I was like, I'm struggling working for other people. I'm really good at what I do, but I am the only one who can motivate me. I do not get motivated by other people. I don't get motivated by false deadlines. I don't get motivated by BS assignments. I don't get, I get motivated when I set my own guidelines, deadlines, policies, which is definitely a unique skill set and is very hard to do. And I'm my own worst critic. I'm my own toughest boss. 
and I will almost like buck up against somebody telling me what to do. Like I want to go in the other direction. So once I learned that about myself and I'd had this experience with this other company starting it and then selling it, when this opportunity came along to take over vision advertising, I was like, yeah, that sounds good because not only will I get trained, at least a small respect of, you know, here's our clients, here's the staff, here's the problems. I can also make it my own. And so when I first came on board, you know, you think you're going to do X, Y, and Z in the first year. And it turns out you're going to do A, B, and C, because then you start diving into everything and you got to pull it all apart. But, you know, now four and a half years later, and it's, I have this amazing team of people that work for me. You get to, you know, I set my own schedule and they can set their own schedules and during the pandemic, we were definitely hit like a lot of people were, but we didn't furlough anyone. We didn't lay anybody off. We transitioned from an in-person office to a remote office with no problems. It's, we were able to support all of our clients. I don't know if I could have been so successful at it without the amazing team I have. I work for them at this point. I feel like all the years of learning how to do people management, how to motivate teams, how to hire, how to fire, how to do HR, everything kind of came to this point of this team of people who, you know, supported me and I supported them. And it's, it's been a really challenging year, I think for everybody in business, no matter how you did. Yeah. But I think if you didn't have a great team of people around you, it would be even harder. And I really have the most amazing team of people working for me. That's amazing. <laughs> That's so rock star. Well, because, you know, you mentioned a few things like in entrepreneurship, some people think, oh, you have to do the startup and it has to be a new idea and it has to be all these things. And it's like, well, maybe there's someone who's just looking to retire and looking for a successor who wants to pass on the torch and knows that you can do it. I mean, that's a totally viable option. And that's a huge benefit because this person has spent years building that business and you're stepping into the shoes and it's like, you're not starting from square one. I mean, listen, starting from square one is going to be one set of problems taking over somebody else. is going to be a different set of problems. I don't want to sugarcoat it for you, but it definitely gives you momentum that you wouldn't have otherwise because I've done both. So this is, you know, you got to root out somebody else's I feel like it's playing whack-a-mole, all the different problems that you find that you have to deal with, but you'd have to do that if you were starting your own business anyway, because then you got to like accountant, financial, then you got to build everything up. This way, at least you have the momentum, the financial momentum, the legal momentum, you know, the brand name recognition, et cetera, but you better be ready to hit the ground running because it's already a train that's moving and you're stepping on it. Whereas when you start something yourself, there's somewhat of you controlling the pace at the beginning. This is, the pace has already been set and you can't control it till you can control the train. Right. So yeah, I liked it because I like chaos, but it's <laughs> definitely a unique skill set. <laughs> it is. And like, you know, and your first like three to five years of business, like what was, what was that like? Cause it, you know, as we all know, that's kind of like your pivotal phase right? When you start any business or step into any new business, like the first three or four years are always like, cause you're trying to figure it all out and get used right. to it and figure out your systems and build your team and do this and do that, you know? So right. what, what was that like for you? Well, I usually think the first three years in any position or taking over a team is usually like you spend the first year figuring out what the problems are, right? What are the, pro- it always takes a full year to take, figure out what the problems are. Usually it takes longer than that, but you can figure out a majority of problems in one year. Then it takes second year to how do you solve the problems, 
right? So the problems I figured out, let's solve them in year two. And yes, it really does take a full year. And then year three is have the solutions worked. And then over those three years, you have new problems that have popped up. You have found new things and you kind of go through the process again. Mm. And, you know, now I'm in some four and a half years in, I'm pushing year five at this point. And so it's now it's like, okay, fingers crossed that I have fully found (laughs) every single problem from before I came on board. But I swear we find some every once in a blue moon, still almost five years in at this point or something that happened six months after I came on and I wasn't looking for it because I wasn't aware yet. And then how do you deal with that? I'm hoping we're at the end of that. And then it's all the changes you've made. How did they pan out? And then you changed the changes and are you on the right trajectory? We had a really good trajectory going at the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, really, really strong. I think Q4 2019, Q1 2020 were some of the strongest quarters the company's ever seen. And then, as we all know, the pandemic hit. So it was not only like transition everything to work from home. It was also, you know, how do you pivot an entire company's sales procedures and options and kind of marketing everything we're doing while also supporting all of our clients at the same time. So I can't believe it's a year later, but it's a year later and We've done, you know, a full bounce back and really now we can see, did the pivot work? Are the new sales tactics working? Is the new marketing working, et cetera? Because now you have enough perspective. And I keep going back to my team. It's, you know, over four and a half years, I've definitely had some people leave, some people stay, some people, you know, et cetera. But I think the nice thing is that you can see, you know, what personalities are going to work better with your needs and your policies, et cetera, at the time because people management and hiring is like dating. It needs to work for everybody. It's, it shouldn't be a one-sided power dynamic. And the people who work for me should wanna work for me. It shouldn't be a like, I show up every day and this is the worst eight hours of my day. Spend more time with the people that you work with and the people you're married to. So you should wanna be there. And I want people that work for me to wanna work for me. And it's, you know, I have a strong personality. <laughs> So if you don't want to work for me, you definitely don't want to work for me. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, it's just interesting to see like, you know, how, you know, those first three to five years, because everyone has their toughest moments within those first three to five years, not just in business, but like mentally, what have been some of the challenges that you've sort of been through during your entrepreneurial years, not just in business, but also like personal and how did you kind of overcome them? Well, so like on the business side, it's going through and doing like a full financial audit of the yeah. company and trying to figure out what bodies are buried from people who previously worked there that you didn't know about. That's like, a. I feel like everyone goes through that, right? When you take something over, you're like, and here's a body and here's a problem and that's $10,000. Okay, quash that. Great, move on. So that's one way of dealing with it, you know, in terms of things that other challenges I've dealt with everybody has a life outside of work. And I think it's a myth that you can separate personal and professional. And I don't think that there's, you know, a personal and professional balance. I think you have to integrate the two, especially these days when we're working from home, because there is no separation. I leave this room, which is my home office, and I'm in my hallway of my upstairs of my house. So there is no separation you're going to hear my dog bark. You're going to hear my cats meow. Like I'm home. Like there's personal and professional are more melded than they've ever been. 
So how do you balance the two? And, you know, I had mentioned earlier that I'm an ultra runner. So one of the things I've done is I've always carved out time to make sure I can run on Tuesdays and Thursdays. My staff knows they can call and reach me if they need to, but um, you know, those are the hours I'm out running and you know, because I can set my own schedule, I can go work later some days and make sure I'm taking care of myself. And the irony is that, you know, I take such great care of myself and I'm such a big proponent of self-care for my whole team. But then at the beginning of 2020, I got diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And so not only am I transitioning the whole company to be remote and to deal with the crisis of the pandemic and help my clients. And at the same time, I was trying to get the testing done for thyroid cancer because the whole state had shut down. And so then once I got diagnosed, which took about a month and a half because of all the delays, then I had to, without telling my staff, because I didn't want to worry them yet, craft a leadership transition plan that I could implement at the drop of a hat as soon as I could schedule the surgery. So it was, you talk about those first three to five years being incredibly stressful. I don't think I slept <laughs> for like a month because all I was doing was trying to figure out like, okay, so if I go for the test here, I need to you know, do these webinars here to help make the sale over here and then get the PPP loan here. And then you know, we couldn't get the PPP loan because it was stuck with all the Bank of America PPP loans and blah, 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 blah. So I called our state senator here and then let me go for more testing here. And then let me do figure out who's going to run the company when I go on medical leave. But how am I going to tell the staff and the clients and the, you know, it was a lot. So it was crazy. I can't imagine all that all at once. And it's like, just take it. And I can only imagine, like, it's like a day by day. Like, how did you sort of transition. I think I have a little PTSD. But <laughs> oh my but, uh, I think it helps that I'm so operations focused and so logical. I don't get hyper emotional. I don't even think I cried when they told me I had cancer. It's more just like, what do we need to do? What's the next step? What are we doing? Etc. As long as we have a plan, I'm te- I tend to be okay. Like it's mm-hmm. when there's no plan that I don't do great. So it was a lot to deal with, but I knew what I was doing. I run my clients and my staff through crisis management, so I can run myself through crisis management. It just felt like an exaggerated version of that. And, you know, there was a lot of wine involved. So there's that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. And like, cause I know it's deeply personal and some people really don't know, like, thankfully you're trained in it, in the crisis management, but like, what would be some of the biggest tips that you would just for life in general, you know, yeah, your experience? I mean, I think on the healthcare side, for anybody that's dealing with any kind of health crisis, especially during the pandemic, can be really challenging. Just be your own best advocate. Make sure you're getting the best care possible. If you need a different doctor, if you need tests, et cetera, don't just assume that everybody else knows better than you. If you think something's wrong, make sure you find somebody that listens to you and believes you and figure out what's going on. Don't just wait for the doctor to call you back. Make sure you're calling the doctor. If I had waited, I'd still be waiting to get my test done. And that's not an exaggeration. It's over a year later. So, and that's not anybody's fault. That's just because it got stuck in the bureaucracy of the hospital systems. So that's on the healthcare side. In terms of, you know, crisis management professionally, I just did a whole crisis management webinar. You can actually see the 
recording on our vision advertising Facebook page if anybody wants to watch it. But, you know, one of the big things I talk about is you need to have a plan in advance. It could be anything. It could be, you know, a pandemic. It could be somebody on your staff has a skiing accident. It could be a uh, PR scandal. It could be literally anything, but you could have like a five bullet point crisis management plan in terms of who's the point person. You need one point person, your buck stops with them. They make all the decisions. You know, what are your guiding principles of your company? How do you make the decisions, et cetera. But, you know, one of the big things that helped me was just turning it into an operational plan. Okay. So if I'm going out on medical leave, that means I need to have a sense of how long that will take and who needs to take over for me and how much of my job do they need to take over and how can I make that easy for them? And what do I need to train them on? And how many meetings do I need to have, you know, kind of breaking it into tasks and breaking it into like objective items that I could manage rather than getting caught up in the subjective emotional side of things, because then you're just gonna make yourself crazy. This is a way to kind of hold on to something that feels out of control, because at least you're chipping away at, okay, I need to tell this person, and then I need to explain what they're responsible for and answer their questions, and then schedule a follow-up. Okay, I need to call all the clients, and this is what I'm going to say to them. These are the clients that don't need a personalized phone call. Start making lists, like figure out what the concrete thing you can do is, because not only will that help you move the ball forward, it'll help you feel more in control. Right. No, I love that. And you're such a problem solver. I'm the same as you. And I'm like the same thing. I think everything in like operational standpoint, it's all very logical to me. It's like, okay, so we've got this. All right. What's the solution? Let's work on this. One, two, three, one, two, three. Like I'm huge on lists and like methodically like putting it together. Oh man, you're, you're a total rock star. I just adore you. So for you, based on your diverse journey that you've been on, you know, what would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? Oh, that is a great question. I think about that all the time. I would tell myself in high school that your grades don't matter. That like everyone stresses, I guess these days, I don't have kids, but my understanding from like my nieces and my nephews and kind of everybody is that, you know, kids these days really stress about their grades. And I think I was a little bit oblivious to that when I was in high school, because I was just like, I'm a bad student. It doesn't matter. But I definitely felt it a little bit around me. I would tell my younger self, it doesn't matter. Just graduate. Whatever gets you through and gets you the piece of paper at the end and you get out of this town, I would tell myself to go to, you know, if you're going to go to college, go to a community college for a couple of years and spend less money (laughs) than going to a four-year college. And then, you know, figure out what you want to do. If you want to get a bachelor's, that's fine, but save some money because I'll be paying those student loans off till I die. (laughs) I would tell my younger self that being a loudmouth woman is a a good thing and not a bad thing. And that having opinions and asking questions is great. And that when you ask a question, that means that there's five other people in the class that probably have the same question. They're not asking it. It's okay to speak up. Even if you're scared to speak up, you should still speak up. It's okay to be wrong. You know, there's this whole idea, especially when you're younger, that, you know, when you answer a question, it should be 100% correct. It's okay to be wrong. You just need to learn why you're wrong and what can you learn from the experience to try things and fail. Because I think there's so much fear of failure 
And I used to have a really big fear of heights. I used to, I was never athletic growing up. I actually wasn't athletic until maybe six years ago. And I think I would tell my younger self to like, if you don't like organized sports, then just try to go for a run Mm. because I didn't, you know, I wasn't into the organized sports in suburbia, but there was other ways I could go do things. And I think I never understood that. So, yeah. I love it. Now, Julia, with your awesomeness, like what are you up to these days? With my awesomeness, I am doing a lot of online webinars. So we have some business boot camps on the Vision Advertising Facebook page. They are all free, which is great. They are half an hour or one hour sessions that kind of do a deep dive on different topics related to marketing and business leadership. For example, we have one about social media. We have one about brand recognition. We have one about social media trends, i.e. don't follow the big shiny flashing object just because everybody else says you should. We have one, actually a really exciting one that's coming up about salary negotiation. And that one is because we've had so many people reach out to us about how do you actually negotiate as a, for your salary as a younger really a younger woman, but as a younger person. Um, And that came up as a result of conversations like this, where I talk about managing staff and asking for what you want. And so we're doing a whole boot camp about that. And if you go to the Vision Advertising Facebook page, which is really just Vision Advertising, you'll see all of our events right there. We also have a number of webinars we're doing in partnership with other companies. So we're partnering with the Better Business Bureau for a couple of webinars, partnering with Center for Women and Enterprise for a couple of webinars, and it is all on our social media as well. I love it. I love it. And now where can we find your awesomeness, Julia? <laughs> <laughs> you can find me personally on Instagram. I am Julia Rifka. That's J-U-L-I-A-R as in Rachel, I-V as in Victor, K-A. You can find Vision Advertising on Instagram at Vision Advertising Rocks because we do. You can find us on Facebook, Vision Advertising. You can find us online on our website, vision-advertising.com. We're also on Twitter and LinkedIn. Love it. Thank you so, so much. Now everyone knows where to find you, what you're up to. <laughs> so exciting. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift and join us on the next episode.